Welcome to the podcast, brought to you by our sponsor, the MBTA Perk Program. My name is Bruce Mole, the editor of Commonwealth Magazine. Today's edition is an abbreviated version of a Commonwealth Newsmakers event with Joseph Aiello, the chairman of the MBTA's Fiscal and Management Control Board, Carolyn Ryan of the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce, and Chris Dempsey of Transportation for Massachusetts. So let's start with you, Joe. You've been on the job, so to speak. You don't get paid for this job, but you've been on this job for now close to four years, I think. Over that time, you and the board have done a lot. I've sat through a lot of the meetings, I can tell you that. But complaints from the public don't seem to go away. Where are we in the transition to a new MBTA? Well, I think uh, it's fair to say that um, we're still at the very beginning. Um, the hole that the T found itself in um, was stunning when we got there. And I think the reality is that as we uh, got into the details and really began to understand what was happening at the T, that the problems were much worse. Um, just a couple of examples of that. Uh, the, um, the amount of uh, backlog for the state of good repair, uh, we got a report from, uh, from the staff that they had estimated at $7.3 billion. This is in 2015 dollars. And uh, by the way, we've reported on this uh, 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 previously. It did not include all the commuter rail assets. It had some funny numbers in there, such as uh, uh, $300 million worth of station improvements were needed. You think about that. We spent $100 million on government center alone. I mean, these stations are pretty complicated. The size of the, 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 the ridership that we have to uh, accommodate is there. Um, there was also a, 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 a real uh, drop in morale. A lot of talent had left the agency. Uh, we had to do a lot of recruitment. The, the partnerships with the organized labor, which is about 95% of the workforce, had really been allowed to deteriorate as well. Um, so we were probably in as dark a hole as you could possibly imagine. Um, it's going to take a long time to, to, to get to the right place. The first thing that we set forth is that uh, this is going to sound like funny management um, becoming, you know, 101, but coming from the private sector. I think we and the board members all agree on this. Uh, you have to have a strategic vision of what you want your organization to, to uh, head towards. Um, and our vision is nothing short of we need to be a globally premier transit system serving a globally premier and competitive region uh, circulating around the city of Boston. Uh, we've got an economy which is region to region competition. And if the transit authority does not support growth, if it does not support quality of life, if it does not support accessibility for everybody in the community, we will not be able to continue to be successful. Uh, so that's, that's where we're heading. Uh, we had declared that we were going to um, erase the backlog, uh, the state of good repair, that $7.3 billion, which we knew was an underestimate in 15 years. And we're well on our way to doing that, but uh, with an important caveat, I think is important for folks to understand. That is, the system that we inherited, if we were to just simply replace like for like, would not be the system that you all would want or that your children would depend upon. For those of you who are old enough to sort of think in those terms, I'm an old guy, so. Um, let me give you just a, as an example. 
the current red line is designed essentially if it were running really well to allow a train to come by once every five minutes if you're standing on a platform during rush hour. Uh, even when we do it, which is, which is not often, because we do have a problem with reliability given the old equipment that we have, we are still leaving people on platforms at rush hour almost every day, even when we're meeting the, 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 the published schedule. In reality, we're, we're, we're operating on about a six-minute headway during the peak hour. Um, what we have decided to do was not just replace like for like and come back with a five-minute headway train because the five-minute headway train would not solve today's congestion problem on the T, not would it have the ability to attract people off the roadway system onto mass transit. So we have dedicated ourselves to producing a new red line, which is a three-minute headway red line at a 95% on-time performance metric. What this essentially means, if you can just wrap your mind around, I hate to use that phrase, um, is that we will double capacity, effective capacity of the red line. So by the time 2024 comes about, we will have built an entire additional rapid transit line similar to what the red line has been doing because we're doubling the capacity of the red line. That's a pretty amazing um, commitment for the transit authority to make. We're not digging up new tunnels, we're really just doubling what we can get for throughput in a single line. And one more thing we're saying, um, for those of us who remember when the red line was in glory days in the 1980s when we had just gone to the South Shore, just gone through Cambridge and Somerville, it was all new and it all worked. It was pretty good. Something happened, it's called lack of maintenance, that allowed it to deteriorate into, t into the terrible condition that's there today. Uh, we have committed that we are gonna publish by midpoint of next year a public maintenance and, and investment schedule, intervention schedule, that is gonna dictate year by year how much money we should be spending on the red line to make sure we never fall into a state of disrepair ever again. So that for the next 30 years, the promise is if I'm using your tax dollar money to double the capacity of the red line, it's not just for the ribbon cutting ceremony, it's to make a permanent commitment to use your tax dollars wisely. There is literally no other transit authority in the United States of America that makes that commitment to their passengers. So I think we've got a pretty radical transformation going on. Doesn't mean we're doing everything right. Lo and behold, the board makes plenty of mistakes. There are decisions we've made that we probably would think through again. We will continue to have setbacks because it is a pretty big, complicated organization. But I think the fact that we have a place where we want to get to, the fact that we understand we need to put much more service out there to, for, to meet today's and tomorrow's demands, and the fact that we're now paying attention to the really uh, unglamorous work of long-term maintenance in the system, I think is putting us basically in the right direction. And you talk about the red line, but you're doing this on the orange line, and you have plans all across the system. That's right. We're doing it on the orange line as well. Uh, we also announced a new program about four months ago for, to double capacity on the green line. Uh, one of the nice things, it, by the way, what's great about the T is that we had a whole bunch of professionals working at the T who um, really were 
pretty despondent. I mean, one of the reasons that we were losing talent is because they didn't feel that they were being listened to. They never thought they were going to have the resources. The board, I would say, forced the issue on the red line. Let's think about the red line a little bit differently. Lo and behold, once we sort of got them to thinking about um, the fact that they can think differently about things, they came to us out of, out of uh, themselves, not through a consultant report, and said, you know what? If you were to give us $500 million for the green line, we can modify track, tunnels, other configurations, and we can run a single green line car, modern car, off-the-shelf car, as opposed to the bespoke vehicles we have to uh, uh, buy today, and we could fit double the amount of cap people capacity in 60% of the platform length we now currently use for two car trains. So think about it, one driver, one car, fitting as many people as two drivers, two cars, in 60% of the space. That means we can now take two cars and have double the capacity on the green line and we have enough platform space, except for a few platforms up on the D&E branch which are solvable problems. So that was a, a, uh, that was a staff inspired move it's going to take a lot of money, a lot of time. I should point out, I want to be, be clear about this. Um, when we talk about the $7.3 billion state of good repair, that did not envision that we, that envisioned that we were going to replace like for like. One of the board's strategic directives, working with the secretary, is to say we need to be building the transit authority of, of, the, of the future. And so the price tag with that is going to be not $7.3 billion, but uh, some premium on top of that that we'll t we can talk about in, in a bit. But uh, that's, that's an example of another initiative. Another one that's at the very beginning is thinking about whether or not commuter rail can be more productive. Can commuter rail, particularly within the inner regions, say, of 128 in, operate more like a rapid transit system as happens in Paris and London and Tokyo and other places around the world? Not sure what the answer of that is yet. Not sure if we're going to go to electrification or partial electrification for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, but just about a year from now, that's something I think that anybody who's thinking about regional congestion, regional growth, good environmental policy, resiliency issues, should really pay attention to, to that study because that's probably the biggest swing of investment that we might make, and that will come to about a year from now. So we do hear this, this, this talk about the state of good repair and, and the number you, you say that it's a bit lower than it should be. Um, do we have, this is a hot issue, do we have enough money to do all these things you want to do? Do we have enough money to do the things we want to do? For the, for the next five years, we certainly do, right? So if to put it into perspective, when we got there, the T thought it should be spending about $700 million a year on uh, state of good repair backlog elimination. It was actually spending about $300 million. This year, we're finally getting that close to about 900 million. So in three years, we've tripled the, the, the throughput of the, the, the construction um, division of the MBTA. We're projected to increase that to about a billion in the next fiscal year. And then if you look at our graphs that we've put online, we'll be up eventually to 1.4 billion a year. We have about $6.6 .6 billion available to us in the next five years. We're really going to struggle to spend that. And, and you know, people sometimes say, well, just hire more people. You can spend more money. The reality is the kind of work that we're doing is, is, is um, very disruptive to the system. We're not going out and building a new line out into the middle of nowhere, and therefore construction crews can work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. 
We actually have to work during overnight hours. These three-hour windows or four-hour windows, we have to shut down the system sometimes on weekends. So productivity is a challenge. The amount of the system you can shut down at any given time is a challenge. And we are doing, um, I think, a great job on productivity. We now probably spend twice as much as we do, which is a measurement of how much work you can accomplish on an overnight shutdown as we did three years ago. We're hoping to triple that. We've been doing a lot of logistics planning. We've actually been talking to folks who've been doing this in the UK and in, and in Tokyo to understand how they do their logistics planning for overnight shutdowns or weekend shutdowns to get the greatest amount of throughput. But to get to the 1.4 billion is going to be a, a real challenge. And then we need to sustain that for some period of time. Looking beyond, um, so do I need money today? No, I don't need money today. Do I need money in the next four or five years? No, I don't need money in the next four or five years. I think we get enough to do what we need to do. As we sort of peek ahead and we start thinking, um, take the green line as an example. If we want to do the green line and have the new fleet come on board in a reasonable amount of time, we need to start the engineering work for the green line vehicles and for the track and signals a lot of that spend probably will happen years seven, eight, nine, and 10. At some point along the way, it would be helpful to have the legislature sort of send a signal about whether or not they're in a position to support that program, as an example, as they did on the red and orange line uh, vehicle procurement. So, you know, we'll be getting to a point, I think, um, in, in within the next 18 months to sort of have to begin to stop peaking past year six. Um, we have been fortunate, if you think about how we built the $8 billion program in this first five years, part of it was the red-orange line car procurement program that the legislature kindly uh, passed on us. Um, so there will be a need for a similar discussion at some point, but what we need over the next uh, five years, I would honestly say if someone gave us an extra $2 billion, uh, given the mission in front of us, uh, it would be almost impossible for us to spend it. And I know that's not an answer people like, but uh, we don't want to be foolish with the, with the taxpayer money. This is the five of us as a board, right? So everyone's free to disagree with me, and the T staff may disagree with me. Um, if we lose the uh, confidence of people who advocate on our behalf, so all of you speak up, you write editorials. By the way, you provide us with great ideas. We're forever thankful for your advocacy, because we've adopted a lot of them. If we fail you, you're not gonna come back again and support the T in the next go round. So, you know, we'd rather go slow and get it right so you can feel good about your advocacy and then go fast and, as we might say in East Boston, screw it up and have everybody sort of walk away from us. So we do proceed with a bit of caution on that. But I'm trying to read, what, read between the lines what you're saying. So we have enough money for it's five years. News makers. <laughs> so we have enough money for five years, and the governor was very emphatic about that during this campaign, that we've got all the money we need. But I, what I hear you saying is if you go out beyond five years, you've got a green line, you've got a commuter rail issue sort of looming out there. Um, there seems to be a, a, an untold number of products, expansions, whatever, that you are being urged to look at, consider, what have you. Um, connecting the blue and red, do, doing all the, the, one of your favorites. Um, so all these things, do you, need, do you need to have a discussion about new revenue out beyond that five-year period? 
I think at the appropriate time, right? So um, here's where we are today. We have been going, um, this is a question that we get members of the legislature to ask us and the governor's office asks us, and we're not ducking the question, right? The, we had a $7.3 billion number that we were, we know had some, uh, some, some issues with it. It also was not inflated. It was in 2015 dollars, and when you're spending over time, you have to think about construction inflation. You also have to think about productivity as well, um, which, the, the, which the study did not uh, take into consideration. Um, we have, uh, I think we're going through a process, we have a submittal due to the FTA in April where we will feel comfortable being able to update that $7.3 billion number to what we think it should be. We then need to think, of, uh, need to try to figure out what is the premium we're spending to put the red and orange and green lines to the state we want them to be, that premium there. We'll probably understand sort of where we are in terms of a long-term 20-year spend, um, um, I would say by, by mid-year, late in the year. So it's not off the table discussion about it, about revenues and what, what's it needed down the road at some point, maybe even next year. Uh, it sort of sounds like when the governor talks, it's off the table. He doesn't say it's off the table, but he just sort of well, says. Well, I, I think the issue of 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 broad tax, the broad broad based taxes, and all that stuff is certainly off the table, right? That that there's no doubt about that. Um, I but guess you're what, talking after he's perhaps gone, even. We're talking about a period of, of of after the governor may or may not be gone. Depends upon how many terms the governor wants to right. to, to run for and. From my perspective, I hope he keeps running until he's <laughs> until he's 80. <laughs> no, seriously, he's been. I, listen, I I, I spent uh, 10 years of my life at the Transit Authority. I grew up here. I would say this uh, as a as a poor kid growing up in East Boston. The teach changed my life. Right? It was, you know, we didn't have the internet then and all that stuff. So I I and I think a lot of people my age feel very passionate about the T's ability to transform someone's life. Right? Let's take a break to hear from our sponsor. Time is money. Commuting can be a pain. Save time and money and make your commute a little easier with Perk, the new transit pass program from the T. With Perk, you get a monthly pass that automatically renews and get savings on your taxes. Ask your employer how they can sign you up. For more info, go to perk.mbta.com. That's perk with a Q, .mbta.com. Welcome back. We're talking with Joe Aiello. We do need to have a broader discussion about mobility. There is no debate about that, and it is, um, it is bus. It's the related congestion. It's what are we doing about TNCs. It's uh, what are we doing about patterns of growth and understanding how to um, allow growth to happen in a way that is sustainable that allows mobility to, to happen. Um, we have not moved, and one of the self-criticisms I, 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 we as a board will say, we listed the bus as one of our top priorities in strategic plan. Uh, none of us are happy with the progress uh, on, on bus. Um, every time there's an emergency on a project, and this is one of the problems with having a thin staff, I mean, they work like crazy. Um, but anytime there's a crisis over in one corner, it's the very same people who are trying to think about the future of the bus system are gravitating to solve yesterday's or tomorrow's rush hour, right? Um, we need to do better there. 
We need to do it in an integrated fashion, uh, and we need to do it much more quickly. I would say that there are, there are some good signs. Um, the mayors of Boston, Everett, Cambridge, Arlington, I'm probably missing someone, some mayor who will get mad at me, are all stepping up to the plate. It's not easy to take um, you know, automobile space away from automobiles and say, I'm going to put buses in them. It's not easy to say, I'm going to have a bus go ahead of everybody else when we get to a red light, or I'm going to change the, the light from red to green because a bus is approaching. So we do deeply appreciate that. I think we're beginning to learn. I think that the gospel has been spread. I think organizations like yours and yours have been spreading that gospel. Um, uh, but we, we really need to think about an acceleration of that. Um, one real problem related to that is real estate. Uh, today, uh, here's another example. Uh, give me another billion dollars, I'll go buy uh, a lot, a lot, a lot more buses. We actually don't have room in our garages to store any more buses. Zero, right? Now, tell me a community that wants to have a new bus garage and 300 buses. Raise your hand, right? Give me a deal. Uh, it's, it's a very hard thing to do. When we start talking about rehabilitating a, a bus garage, we get approached typically by municipal leaders who say, you're not really going to stay here, are you? Aren't you going to go someplace else? Because we think that would be a great place for condominiums. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a real struggle, um, and we haven't done well. So that one I'll give us a C- minus on. Water transportation is another place where I think we, we can do better. We were just greatly disappointed with the rebid of the, of, of, of the commuter, um, commuter boat contract. Uh, there's no doubt, I think, from all of us on the board that we should be doing more ferry. The question is sort of how to do more ferry. And I think one of the things we learned is that we just don't have an ability to put out a product that attracts a lot of competition. Uh, we've just conducted a 90-day review. We want to ask questions like, would it be better if we owned all the boats instead of having an operator bring the boats? If we, if we owned all the boats, then pure operators could come in and bid on the, pro on, 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 the, on, on the contract and maybe produce a little bit of innovation and allow us to expand the service over time. So those are the questions we want to ask us. That would be a, a help. We also need to coordinate with some of the other private service providers, such as the convention center, the casino, and others who are run, writing services. But that's another part of the answer to the South Boston waterfront problem. Joe, why do you think ridership at the T uh, it's not down a huge amount, but it's down. Um, you would think with an economy humming along that ridership would be up, especially with all the roads pretty heavily congested. What, what does that say? What, what does that mean to you? It's up on the blue line. It is up on the blue line. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need more blue line. I don't know. Um, it, well, if you look at the patterns of what we're experiencing, we're... Um, I think that there are two things going on. One is, uh, first of all, we're doing a lot of weekend shutdowns. So our weekend ridership is suffering as a result of that. But that's part of the state of good repair catch-up. Uh, people probably are just avoiding us, avoiding that bus ride alternative, and um, either not making a trip or doing an Uber or Lyft or driving into the city on the weekend. So, so weekends is a particular uh, problem, but that's so that the one place we can get decent work windows for the crews to go in and change our track and signals, et cetera. Um, big, big part of our loss is midday and at night. 
and we think the TNCs are really hurting us there. Um, listen, if you can get uh, three of your buddies uh, leaving a restaurant to take a $5 ride in, a, in an Uber, it's very difficult for us to compete with that. Uh, we need to figure out um, how to how to sort of deal with that syndrome. Um, in an environment, by the way, this is no secret, Uber's lost, I think, $9 billion over the last number of years. Uh, I think Lyft's economics are somewhat similar. Um, God knows if that's sustainable, um, but we certainly need to think about how to get more productive midday and in the evening. And what that more productive means, I don't think we're quite sure yet, but, but um, that's a national syndrome, by the way. That's where the ridership is hurting the most is, um, is the off-peak times. I didn't know the governor before. The governor asked me to be on the board, and he's probably wondering why he asked me to be on the board every day. But um, it, was, it was interesting. When the Green Line was falling apart, we were really almost crippled with all the other work we had to do. And then, oh, my God, this thing is just falling apart, and, and here it is. And um, I, I, I wasn't sure we had the energy for the whole thing. Um, but it was interesting. The, the governor's re response to the whole thing was, listen, you got a big, uh, you got a full plate over here of state of good repair, catch up, and all the other things that, that we wanted to do. If you say no to the Green Line extension, you probably condemned a T to 10 years of not doing anything else, right? And um, it was really insightful that he, he took the leadership and said, we must do this stuff, which uh, was counterintuitive to me, but he sort of got it, and, and, and it, was, uh, it was a welcome surprise. It was a, it was a bit of sort of a burden on us to sort of try to figure it out. And at the end of the day, we worked together with the governor's office and the secretary, and I gotta tell you, we had nothing to do with this, but we are the only new stop project issued under the Trump administration, the Green Line Extension Project. So thank God for that, right? That was good. We're doing the extension down to uh, South Coast Rail, finally, after 25, 30 years of promises. If you find but the money for it, right? And we have found the, we have found have the money. Have you found the money for it? Uh, I think we have the money, so. Where's it coming uh, from? It, it will be revealed to you soon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't make those announcements, <laughs> but we, we've got it, we've got it. Um, we're doubling the capacity in the red line. We're giving you a whole new red line. We're gonna pretty much double capacity in the orange line. We're gonna give you a whole new orange line. For those corridors, that's big, 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 big stuff. That's as if we dug a tunnel underneath the street and did it all over again, but we're doing it relatively for the donut compared to starting from scratch, right? That's just a smart way of providing significant expansion. Um, we are, um, we are uh, committed to doing the green line in a way that nobody has thought about the green line before. What we don't know is that we're gonna do it in 10 years, we're gonna do it in 15 years, I think that's something we need to think about. It's got so many dimensions to that problem, but that's a radical increase in capacity along corridors that are critically important. Uh, we're talking about the red to blue connector. I think that there's gonna be a bunch of discussion that's gonna happen in early 2019 around that. It's not a very big um, physical project, but if you think about the, the seaport and the traffic coming out of Logan Airport and the North Shore, that could be a significant congestion relief. But the big thing is the commuter rail system. I don't think, in addition to bus, which I agree we have not done well on and we need to, to, to get better on it immediately, the commuter rail reformation, the potential for that is enormous. If you could imagine 
everybody within 128, and I'm not discriminating against people between 128 and 495, I'm just using that as a rough term, um, so don't write me letters. Well, write me letters, it's okay. Um, if you could imagine yourself living in downtown Melrose, and just pick that because that's where my brother lives and complains all the time, that the train is leaving every half hour all day long, would people begin to use more the commuter rail system and get off 93? I don't know. Uh, let me describe a, a little experiment they did in the UK, which is sort of instructive to us. In the UK, on their overground, they added service in the morning peak and the evening peak, and they thought they were going to get a more ridership. And, and effectively, they got a flat response. They didn't get much. Then they said, well, why don't we just run a couple of trains midday? So they ran like a 10, a noon, and a 2. The 10, the noon, and the 2 sort of attracted a few people. It was a little disappointing, but, you know, sort of enough. But what they found was they attracted a significant amount more people in the morning and the evening, which is sort of counterintuitive. All of a sudden, more people started showing up in the rush hour. They actually isolated them. They could figure out who's riding the system. They surveyed them. And the overwhelming response about why are you riding now than you didn't write before, because I don't like going to work into downtown London and feeling like I'm isolated and I can't get back if I need to get back because there's a family emergency or I only want to work half day or if I'm feeling lousy. So the fact that I now have an alternative to get back midday makes me feel comfortable I could take the rail in the morning. So we need to sort of understand that dynamic and need to understand that we may run some service that doesn't necessarily fill up, but fills up other services and gets people off during the peak periods of the highways when we really need to get people off. That would be a major investment if we do it. I don't know if we're going to do it. I, we need to see the analysis, but we really have pushed the DOT planning department. And I got to say, the secretary's leadership on this has been absolutely terrific. Uh, but that is probably as big a change. If, if, if that gets built out the way some people are envisioning it, and again, I'm agnostic on it today, that will be a bigger change for this region than the period when we expanded the red and orange lines in both directions. I mean, that's giant. So I would say for those people who say we are of limited vision, and a whole bunch of us, um, that's pretty revolutionary. And I think, I think we're, um, you know, we're going to have a really great conversation next fall. When you think about the cost of a commuter rail pass being $300 a month, is just more service going to be enough for people to get them on to commuter rail? Yeah, there's, there's no doubt that we need to rethink the, um, the, the, the commuter rail pricing. Um, so I, I will sort of start there. I think that we will have um, certainly an opportunity to do that um, with the AFC 2.0 system coming in. We'll have a modernized system. We'll be able to easily reprice and play, pre, play with pricing. We've done a little bit of that on uh, these Zone 1A expansion systems. Um, I think we're thinking about whether or not there are other opportunities to make it more affordable. One thing we do know, the notion of you know, the rich white guy, by the way, I was a rich, uh, it was a poor white guy <laughs> growing up. I might be a rich white guy today, but the old rich white guy from Andover coming in a briefcase and leaving his house at, at 7.30 in the morning and leaving his office in Boston at 5.30 in the evening, and we could sock it to him uh, because they made a lot of money, that world is gone, right? We have a very mixed environment out there, and, and people from 
all across the income spectrum are uh, dependent upon commuter rail now. I don't think we have the right, I know we don't have the right pricing policy. We need to figure out how to do it. The question is, do we discriminate by uh, length of trip? Or do we discriminate by ability to pay? Or do we discriminate by time of day or some other means? The one nice thing about the AFC system is we can make all those decisions. We could actually um, get your iPhone or your Charlie card or whatever mechanism you need. And it's theoretically possible if you got laid off and all of a sudden you're on unemployment assistance, we could drop you down to a de minimis fare during that period while you come into the city looking for a job, right? So it's gonna be a wonderful new world of pricing that's going to be a huge controversial discussion about how we go there. But there's no doubt in my mind that commuter rail pricing after 2020 will undoubtedly be very radically different than what it is today. At this point, Chris Dempsey responded to a question from the audience. The pricing problem around should we tinker with time of day pricing on the MBTA or maybe extending zones places, not that those aren't important questions, but the fundamental problem is that driving is way too cheap and we are not appropriately pricing driving, which is creating all sorts of societal problems, public health problems, environmental problems, transportation problems like the congestion that we have. And if we more appropriately priced our system of driving, we would be able to generate significant revenue for the MBTA and other transit services around the state. But I think importantly here, we would also actually be providing a better service to drivers than the one that they have today. The service we are providing to drivers is terrible. They are sitting in the worst congestion and traffic they have ever sat in in Massachusetts history. And that's fundamentally because we are not having a pricing conversation. We're trying to start one, but we haven't yet had a pricing conversation about our roads. So thank you for raising that. I think one of the challenges, though, with appropriately pricing driving is what's the alternative? And if you can't get on a, a red line car in the morning, well, you got to get to work. How are you going to get there? And that's that's why you see the flood of people to TNCs is because it's a reliable way to get from one place to the other. Hallelujah, right? That, that's sort of our singular focus is to be prepared for the onslaught of new riders. Right? That, that's, that's our singular focus. Create the capacity as quickly as we can in places that we can and give them a reliable, clean, safe service, which they have not been getting. Change that whole thing so that if when we, we have an environment where either we're inducing people to use the system because it's so much better than it has been and it's a better alternative to the road, or we make a policy decision that we want to get people off the road and switch them. We want to create the vehicle for doing it. Red, orange, green line, doubling the capacity across the board, the commuter rail system, the blue line enhancements. Our job is to be ready and not to be disappointing to any new passenger that is to join. So, so just quickly on this point around, do we need to wait until our transit system is fixed until we have a conversation about pricing? The answer is no. Cities that have put congestion pricing in place like London they bonded the revenue for congestion pricing before the revenue stream was even there. So they were able to raise capital and they spent that money buying a whole bunch of buses and improving the subway system. So that the day that congestion pricing went in place in London, there was a lot more transit service, number one, but then this is the most important piece. Because they had congestion pricing in place and the roads were moving better, 
you instantly improved the transit service for the bus riders in the system, which is one third of MBTA riders are bus riders. And the day that you properly price your roads is the day that you have instantly improved that service. Even if you don't add buses, the existing buses are moving faster. So we can't fall into the trap of saying we can only talk about roads when we fix transit. Fixing our roads also fixes transit. So I, uh, I know there's probably a lot more questions, but we're gonna start to wrap up here just for a second. Um, and I uh, wanted to thank all the panelists for their participation and particularly you, Joe, for uh, you need to wet your whistle there after all that talking. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>